what if the world's pain, our individual pain, others' pain is our purpose? And yes, we're here to enjoy this beautiful world. And also, wherever there's pain, that gives us purpose. And not that anyone has to have the same purpose, but what do you feel? And if you can follow that feeling, because some people are compassionate about environments, some people about animals, some people about global warming, you know, and I feel that if we can follow our pain and let that guide us to our purpose, that's what I've done. Hi, I'm Derek Mills. Welcome to the Globe Podcast. I'd been looking forward for a while to my conversation with Koya Webb, one of our teachers on GLOW. We had to reschedule a few times because there was a death in her family. So I appreciate how she allowed the starting point of our conversation to be about encouraging us to share pain and sadness as much as we share our accolades and accomplishments. In college, Koya was on the path to be an Olympic athlete. However, as she shares with us, she overtrained, got injured, and while navigating depression, as part of her journey, a college counselor suggested she try yoga. Koya is a wellness visionary, educator, and founder of Get Loved Up. She has over 15 years of experience in holistic health studies and also dedicates herself to supporting those who suffer from chronic disease through building sustainable daily self-care, plant-based nutrition, and eco-friendly practices. Get Loved Up is an international lifestyle community and yoga school that inspires mental, spiritual, and physical health through an app, online courses, retreats, in-person teacher training events, and her Get Loved Up podcast. In our conversation, she also shares the ways she prioritizes wellness for herself, for her team, her forgiveness and affirmation rituals, and the ups and downs of publishing her latest book, Let Your Fears Make You Fierce, how to turn common obstacles into seeds for growth. We also discuss the pitfalls of bypassing the uncomfortable moments and ways to build resilience in difficult times. I forgot to ask her at the end where people can find her online, so I'll list that here. Her website is koyaweb.com, that's K-O-Y-A-W-E-B-B.com, and on Instagram at koyaweb. I also want to provide here a trigger warning in advance that Early on in our conversation, Koya brings up the topics of sexual assault and rape culture. We discuss these topics in terms of collective trauma in the world. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Koya Webb. Hi, Koya. It's so wonderful to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me. One thing I I wanted to mention at the top, I connected with our head of content last week and she mentioned that we'll be filming more classes with you. And I was so excited to hear that. Yes, thank you so much. I love filming for GLOW. Your team is phenomenal, amazing, professional. They are really a beautiful representation of you. So yeah, it's, oh, been, it's been amazing. Thank you. That is one of the highest compliments I can receive and that our team can receive, and I know they're going to deeply appreciate hearing that, so thank you. I saw your Instagram posts about the passing of your Aunt Joyce, where you express what a wonderful person she was and how much she meant to you. And I just wanna say up front, I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you so much. It was one of the hardest 
death in the family that I ever experienced. Um, I think mostly because I wasn't really prepared. I mean, I guess you can never prepare for death of a loved one, you know. Um, but I, I just really felt like that somewhere in my mind that you know she was going to get better. And so when I found out, it's almost like no one ever said it to me. My cousin called me, and I knew. And it, it was hard, but I think allowing myself to go through all the stages of grief actually helped me heal better than I ever have in my life. I'm actually more well than I've ever been in my entire life now. And I think part of that was the healing that I did with my, my family, my dad specifically, mm. during the, my aunt's homegoing. At the risk of getting too personal, is there anything specific about the healing that maybe, I mean, so much of your book is about healing and healing practices. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that maybe you leaned on more heavily from your tool set or, or that you expanded upon? Absolutely. I think sharing my pain. I think growing up, I didn't really share my pain nor think that anyone wanted to deal with my pain. So I just stuffed it inside a lot growing up. And I think with, through my training and through my healing, I realized that, no, you have to share, share your story, share your pain, share your sadness, just as much as you share your accolades and share your accomplishments and things like that. And I think that me sharing my pain with my family, my mom, my dad, my, just allowing them to see me hurt and cry and be in the bed for 20 hours, two days in a row, but also love them and hold them. I think that allowed everyone to share their pain as well. And, and we healed together. And I honestly think that was the catalyst um, for knowing that I could do that. And also it being received, especially by my father who, you know, I grew up, he wasn't as emotional, um, but to hear his pain as well. And for us to hold each other and hold space for each other, that I feel was the biggest uh, healing, um, not only throughout my whole family, but especially between me and my father. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I don't know if you said in your book, but I've heard you say it in other interviews that the practice of saying, I love you with your father was something that you had to initiate and cultivate. And so it seems like there's like all of that work is coming to a kind of a culmination, you know, and in, in, especially in this moment of, of such a delicate and you know, precious time together as a family. Absolutely. I think then it was like, I love you. And just recently, it was like, I see you. I feel mm. you, you know, and it's, it's just so important to have depth. I think when it comes to our family, and I feel like especially growing up in the South, some of that depth doesn't happen. It's just like everyone's just doing what they have to and, you know, getting a job, coming home, doing what you're supposed to do, but there's no depth of emotion and compassion and empathy. And so realizing that, you know, um, I am the solution is something that I learned through my inner engineering course with Sakuru is that we can be the solution that we, we seek. And I, told myself like I'm gonna go home and even though I'm in pain and I'm I'm angry and I feel all of these different emotions of like guilt, 
I'm going to go home and I'm going to be the solution. And I think me making that commitment to myself and not allowing those other emotions to lead, but allowing love to lead, that was the key also of it being a good experience. Because if I leaned on any of those other emotions too much, it could have been a, a different reality. Right. I can picture you preparing, you know, on your journey there, you setting your intentions and refining your affirmations even and expressing to yourself, I'm going to practice being this way or showing up in this way in this very intense moment. I definitely did. And if I'm honest, I also had this other side of me that wanted to break things and say mean things. And I, I had to allow those feelings of anger and rage to come up so I could see them and acknowledge their existence, but say that will not promote healing. <laughs> that will promote <laughs> destruction <laughs> and more anger. And, and so, but I think that a lot of times, um, not acknowledging those feelings or trying to suppress those feelings, it actually haunts the healing is what I've learned over time. And now being able to see that and witness that and experience it and share it without attaching to it, that has been my superpower, especially with communicating with my family. Yeah, we don't have in this country as a culture as a whole, and I know that's a strange thing to think about, the United States of America as being a, a unified culture, but we don't, <laughs> we don't typically as a culture in quotes, deal with death well, or, or, you know, there's a, there's an avoidance typically. And, um, you know, in, in terms of sharing your pain, that really resonated with me because I think I spent a good portion of my childhood and early adulthood, not knowing how to access my pain and share my pain. And so thank you for sharing that. And you mentioning depth and being part of the solution. You know, while I was reading your book, Let Your Fears Make You Fierce, How to Turn Common Obstacles into Seeds for Growth, and also listening to a bunch of interviews you've given on other podcasts, as well as those you've done on your own podcast called Get Loved Up with Koya Webb, which by the way, I highly recommend uh, both your book and your podcast, and we'll link to, to both and your website in the show notes. And Part of why I enjoyed so much preparing for our conversation is because your message is, in my opinion, a critical message, especially in this moment in human history. And also because I kept noticing how I was feeling while interacting with your content. And that includes your content on Instagram and, and YouTube. And I noticed myself feeling more positive, more upbeat, a bit more self-agency around my, um, you know, some of my limiting beliefs. And the sense that I was getting is that it seems you, like you invite people into the realm of their own possibility for positivity, for potential, for love. But, and here's a, here's a but, like your message comes with also like additional invitations and it's these additional layers that are very important to me and also align very much with my values. And it's that you're very clear that this work isn't about bypassing the uncomfortable stuff, you know, per your earlier point about 
connecting with with the rage and anger. Uh, it's not about bypassing the stuff we don't want to see or the stuff we don't want to address. And it seems you are uh, reminding us in a way that is accessible uh, about the importance of, of being in conversation and, and to sit with the difficult and sometimes painful nuance. Like nuance is 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 sometimes really hard to navigate. Um, and that we have to work through issues and obstacles and opportunities together when appropriate and safe, uh, rather than bypass and avoid. And so, you know, I think just ultimately my overall sense of, of you and, uh, as I mentioned, everything that I experienced in terms of what you put out into the world, um, is that like you're, you're inviting people to show up for themselves, for others, for our, our, our home planet earth. Uh, you know, at, at both ends of the spectrum, uh, uh, you know, joy on one end, pain on the other, and everything in between. Would you say that's an accurate representation of the invitation you put out into the world and also, and in so doing, help people cultivate themselves? You know what came to me when you, when you said um, those things, and thank you, by the way, I, I love it when um, what I share resonates and what came up for me is what if what if our pain is our purpose? What if the world's pain, our individual pain, others' pain is our purpose? And yes, we're here to enjoy this beautiful world. And also, wherever there's pain, that gives us purpose. And not that anyone has to have the same purpose, but what 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 do you feel? And if you can follow that feeling, because some people are compassionate about environments, some people about animals, some people about global warming, you know, and I feel that if we can follow our pain and let that guide us to our purpose, that's that's what I've done. And I'm glad that that inspires others to not run away from their pain, but to lean in um, to their pain just as much as I, you know, of course, with Get Loved Up, tell people to lean into love. I also think leaning into the pain um, gives you purpose. Um, so yeah, I'm, gl I'm glad that you, you said that and I'm glad that you, you feel that inspiration from, from the material. And part of what you're doing in your book is you're interweaving your story with tips and direction as to how to navigate certain obstacles. Like you have an affirmation at the beginning of every uh, chapter that you invite people to practice of the stories from your past that you share in your book. Are there any that have more of your attention now in terms of your work and creativity and also in terms of what's next for you? I think that probably the most painful, uh, which would be the most purposeful, um, was my experience with sexual assault. And I feel like we are in rape culture, you know, since you really want to talk about culture a bit. And it's not, it's still not being addressed enough, even after the Me Too movement, like it's still happening. And I don't think that we are educating our children and each other enough. And I, I asked myself, like, how can I, having gone through this experience, 
use my pain to push towards more purpose in this area specifically. So this is something that I'm currently, because it's, it's still, I can't say that it's, it's, it's not painful. You know how you get through some things and, and you heal and you're like, oh, that doesn't, it doesn't bother me as much as it used to. I still get a little lump in my throat, which lets me know that mm. that is still part of, of my purpose to see if in some way that I can not only continue my own healing, but to help the world heal to where we communicate better with each other and communicate better with our children as they're growing up on how to respect one another and how to treat one another and how to value and honor each other when it comes not only um, to our differences, but also to our interactions, especially, you know, specifically talking about the physical. So I think my experience and having multiple experience of that one um, issue is something that I feel is in this lifetime <laughs> meant for me to lean into and make sure that I, I address um, in many different ways. So that's, that's one thing that I'm still uh, working with, healing through and, and growing from. Mm. I want to honor that and, and I want to pull on that thread. Um, but I'm thinking not best how to do that. I feel like there is, there's almost not even a best way. You know, every time I mention, like I would go to speak someplace and they're like, Oh, well, we don't want to talk about sexual assault. Cause it's so jarring. Yeah. You know, that's why I don't want to, say- that's why I don't want to gloss over it. You know, <laughs> like, I don't want to pass on to my next question. I feel like that. Like, I feel yeah, like that it needs- is jarring. <laughs> Well, it, that, that statement, that understanding, that expression that needs a moment to breathe and it, it, it needs some yeah. additional follow-up. I want to honor space and discussion on this important topic. And I think in the news, like with, you know, R. Kelly just recently, just having that, that verdict come out after all of this time, after all of these testimonies and after all of the research, it shows that it, it is still a big and very horrific problem and you know in every college and every school and every family it's an ongoing um gray area that we tend to gloss over and we just can't we we have to talk about it and we have to normalize talking about it as much as i just talked about normalizing pain and talking about pain well this is a big pain point that's in every family almost that i feel like it has to just have more breathing room more talking time more understanding with how do we have the conversation of consent? How do we have the conversation of, you know, when we have all these TV shows showing, go out, get drinks, have sex, you know, when that's the, when that's the message, how do we counteract that with ask for consent, be safe, you know, and when the culture is completely different. Do you see your work evolving more explicitly into helping educate people in that way? Is that part of what's, what's either current for you or what's next for you? It's what's coming up in this moment. It actually came up for me over this weekend. So I'd say yes. And one thing that I've always done is I, I acknowledge the different seasons of my life and whatever has the most weight in my heart, I let it breathe. I let it speak. And even if it changes, cause you know, some people say, oh, well, you gotta do this and focus on this. But really each of us 
has this beautiful life, this beautiful human experience, and we get to choose. And there is no right or wrong in what we decide to focus on or talk about. It's really, I think, if we all can be true to what's holding the the highest energy within our body, within our heart, within our mind, that is where the healing lies. That is where the inspiration lies. That is where the empowerment lies. So to answer your question, yes, it feels like it. (laughs) (laughs) Building on the changing seasons in life and what weighs on the heart, purpose, and inspiration. It's fascinating to me when past experiences, past knowledge, come together in a culmination where at the time it wouldn't have made sense why speaking for myself, why I was doing a certain thing or why I was pursuing a particular path or as I process mistakes, failures, regrets, or make sense of something in my past that happened to me that I perhaps had no control over. But then at some point I find the magic happens when there's a confluence of all those divergent paths into something that that's that's unified and in, and in service of something larger than myself and that, that's when i tend to find, feel like these little inner lights within myself become like a a brightly burning conflagration I'm like this is what i must do of course like mm-hmm. it's so clear to me can i read a section from your book when you, you mentioned seasons and i have this little quote here that i'd love to read if that's okay please You say on page 184, it's easy to become preoccupied with determining one role or job that defines us. Our lives have many different seasons. Who we are is constantly changing. Being overtly concerned or focused on finding the right thing that defines you leads to frustration, judgment, depression. Don't stress if you don't know who you want to be or what you want to do. I thought that's such a powerful message. Thank you. I especially feel like it's important right now with the world, us experiencing a collective trauma of us, so many people losing their jobs, so many people losing their lives, so many people losing loved ones at the same time. And I feel like how this interweaves with the experience I was talking about with the sexual assault is resilience, is that your job doesn't define you, your trauma doesn't define define you. None of these experiences that we have in life defines us. And having resilience to get through the toughest time, I think that build not only builds character, but it builds our capacity to love. It also builds our empathy. Because, I mean, I, my dad used to say this all the time, if you haven't gone through anything, then how are you going to be strong enough to get through things? And I guess I took it literally and thought I wanted to go through a lot of trauma in my life, but I definitely been through enough things to say, I've gone through some things and I think that I can get through a lot more because of what I've gone, I've gone through. And, you know, I have to say that this season that we're in as a collective, I'm facing fiercely because of what I've been through, mm-hmm. because I've been broke. I've not, you know, grew up you know, on the helping hand, I grew up not having anything. So if I wake up one day and I don't have anything, I'm not going to freak out. I'm going to be like, wow, I knew what it felt like to have. And now I know what it feels like to not have. And I've felt this before and I've been okay. And what means the most to me is that through those job transitions, through those deaths in the family, through those, the trauma that we experience, 
what matters the most. And that's when it goes back to self-love and and taking care of yourself. That's when it goes back to friends and family and how much time you're spending with them. And that's when it goes back to, are you allowing whatever pain you experience to be your purpose? Because that's how you're going to be most impactful in the world. And so that's that silver lining or that bow, that bow of resilience, I think transcends like whatever's happened to me in the past or whatever I decide to make my mission to talk about it. I feel like resilience and thriving no matter what you've been through is that that key and being able to be love and show up in love no matter what and for me to look at people who have you know had tra- traumatic experience happen to them and say I know you can do this I know you can do this I think that is empowering and that's how we have to hold each other's hand and walk each other through those tough experiences mm. I want I pretty sure we'll come back to collective trauma and self-love. I want to go back in time to a moment where I, I think it was the beginning of or the early stages of you cultivating practices that would help you bolster your resilience. And uh, there's one story where you were first introduced to yoga. Can you share that story? Oh, that's like, has to be my favorite story because mm-hmm. I got injured, you know, and I got injured at a time when I thought everything was finally going exactly how I wanted it to go, you know, and I know some people might have had the job that they wanted to have in the relationship and all of a sudden pandemic and everything comes crashing down and how good it feels to finally feel like, all right, you got it figured out. And then all of a sudden, bam, it changes. So me running and, and, and I don't know if I tell this part of the story, so I'm going to tell it now, but my freshman year, I went to UT Martin and I stayed close to home because when I went to UT Knox, um, my friend was assaulted and I was literally scared to go far away from home. So that's why I went to Martin, Hmm. UT Martin. When I was in UT Martin, I had free meal plan. I gained 25 pounds, not the freshman 15, but the freshman 25. (laughs) And it was a lot of muscle, but I didn't realize, you know, I didn't understand science and gravity at the point. So I didn't realize that's why I was doing not so great in high jump and some of those other events that I was doing. And so um, after that first year, not being such a great year, that's when I transitioned to Wichita State. So I went through the not so great part. So when I got to Wichita State and I had this new coach and I went with one of my assistant coaches and then I had a new head coach and I had a healthy meal plan and you know not all you can eat which is you know that is like a girl from the south who loves food please do not give me a meal plan that's all you can eat um so (laughs) I ended up leveling back out and and getting stronger and realizing that you know I couldn't eat all I wanted to eat and uh I was thriving and I was slated to win the conference that next year. And I I remember walking home from class and I got this sharp pain in my back. And I was just like, I thought, honestly, I gotten shot. I was just like, it was just so Mm. jarring. And I fell to the floor and I was scared to breathe because every time I took a deep breath, I felt this sharp pain. So I went to the doctor and they told me I had a stress fracture. And for those of you who um, are not in the track and field world, a stress fracture is an overuse injury. So it's from not giving yourself enough rest and recovery. 
And I was devastated. I was like, what, what do you mean? Like everything was going great. And I was just where I wanted to be. And my coach was like, you know, Koya, you're, you're a great student. You know, I was trying to maintain a 4.0 and um, he was like, you can just be a coach. And I was like, a coach? What do you mean? Like, I want to go to the Olympics. I want to I do all these things. And I was so hurt. And I went into just depression because I felt like everything that I worked for. And after a whole year of not being where I wanted to be and excelling so, so great in high school, I was just devastated. And um, my teacher said, sent me to the counselor and the counselor suggested yoga. And at the time, as a Southern girl, I was thinking, oh, you know, I can't worship Buddha, different gods, <laughs> and I don't know about these people. Like, I don't know, this doesn't look too blissful. And she was just like, it's just stretching. And of course we know yoga is more than stretching and poses, but at the time I was like, okay, well that seems harmless enough. And I don't have a choice because I got kicked out of class because I kept crying uncontrollably. And those who do suffer depression know that you don't really know when it's going to hit. You're fine one minute and then the next minute you're, you can't stop crying or you, you don't want to get out of bed or you just start having flashbacks. And um, so it was a very dark place. And when I went to this class, they're saying, oh, it's going to be great and stretching. I'm like, every pose is painful. Every pose sitting there is painful. My back hurts. My neck hurts. Like Everything hurts. You know, not only do I have this stress fracture that hurts and I'm on tons of ibuprofen, which is, of course, not great for me. And I'm still in pain. And so I'm just I'm sitting there just frustrated the whole time. And uh, I couldn't even touch my toes. So I could do back bend for high jump, but I couldn't touch my toes. So the teacher comes. She sees me, you know, struggling. She's like, I just want you to breathe with me. And she takes this deep inhale and exhale. And I feel these chills and tingles in my body and it feels so good. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, that feels amazing. Mm -hmm. And I remember- This might answer your question. According to Mayo Clinic, self-care includes drinking plenty of fluids and getting enough rest. <laughs> accompanied by mild fever, sponging with lukewarm water and acetaminophen may help. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Alexa. Alexa. I just cut her off. I was just like, oops. And I tried to catch it before I did that. But, I don't know. That um, might be fun to leave in. I'll have to listen to it. Oh, my gosh. Except for the, the, the recommendation for acetaminophen or whatever that was. <laughs> that was so good. That was so good. Um, but, no, I, um, I'm in this class, and, it, and the teacher's like, just breathe. And when I took that breath, I felt chills all over my body. And I remember when I was growing up as, you know, Southern Baptist girl in church, when my parents said, you know, you're going to know when to get baptized, you know, and for Southern, you know, Christian children, we're always asking ourselves, when am I going to get baptized? When are you getting baptized? And I really wanted to make sure that it was at the right time, whatever that means, which of course, as a young girl, I didn't really, I had no clue, but I did know how I felt. And when I felt these chills in my body, that was my signal. Like, okay, I'm ready to live right and follow the Ten Commandments and be a good person, you know? And so um, when I had this feeling of chills all over my body in this yoga class, it took me back to that moment. And I was like, this is where I need to be with the breath, like taking the breath. And now I know 
and I feel and I communicate with the breath as spirit. Mm. And when it goes back to my Southern upbringing um, with, you know, the Christian faith, you know, we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people don't talk about spirit or the Holy Spirit as I, you know, used to call it in childhood. Now I just say spirit, but we don't talk about that essence being with us all of the time and guiding us. But I for sure know in my life that I'm guided by the breath. And I think the breath is that free tool that we all have when we start this human experience and we don't need anymore when we leave. So I realized the breath is that free healing tool. We can use it to like rev us up and get us ready to fight and put us in our sympathetic nervous system, or we can use it to calm us down and get us into our parasympathetic nervous system so that we can rest and digest and recover. So that moment when my teacher connected me to the breath, I didn't know it at the time, but she was connecting me to my daily spiritual connection that I needed in my life and that has now fostered everything that I do was in that one moment. But at that time, I was just like, that feels good. I'm going to stay in class. So, and then fast forward a year later, I healed my body. I started swimming and biking and I ended up going back to the track after a year, not right back, but after a year of healing, um, I went back to win the conference title and the heptathlon. I was ranked 13th in the nation. Mm. Wow. And that's what moved me to California. That's amazing. Thank you. I love this story because it reminds me that transformation doesn't happen overnight. And also healing doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. I was just gonna ask about that. Yeah. Because you probably, the question that I was conjuring in the moment was the experience of gentle movement, breath, connecting that with spirit, something larger than yourself. Was that the catalyst to allow you or give yourself the permission to tap into more self-love so that you didn't rush it? Because I could imagine if I were in that position, I'd be rushing it. Like I'd, I'd want to get back out there, you know, and doctor tells me six weeks, all right, I'm out there in six weeks. Whereas, you know, I'm guessing you took longer than what maybe the doctor would have recommended. Yeah, I took longer, but it, but I didn't want to, let me be right, honest. Like right. after about three months, I was like, I think coach, I think I'm good. And then after six months, I think I'm good, but I would still feel that dull ache, but I was honest with myself and saying, no, I still feel something, but I could have went out after six months, but I probably would have ended up injured again because I wasn't completely healed. So I think sometimes it's important to just test things out and kind of test the water and see where you are, but and also to be honest about where you are, because part of healing is getting back out there. And sometimes getting back out there can be frustrating, can be just as painful as when you got hurt. And so you have to have discernment to where, okay, Am I pushing too hard? And really the only person that can answer that question is not doctors, it's not coaches, it's not anybody but you. Mm. And so what I do in my teaching now is I train people to listen to yourself and trust yourself. Yes, get advice from doctors and coaches and things like that, but then listen to your body and how you feel so you can really discern when it's time for you, when you're actually ready. Yeah, and that resonates really strongly for me now. At, at this point in my life, I'm about three and a half years into navigating a herniated disc. And mm. it's taken three and a half years because of me doing exactly what I said earlier, 
um, doing the opposite of what you did. Like I kept trying to ignore the fact that I needed longer to heal and I needed to do other things, not just um, physical interventions to heal. And so that resonates pretty strongly with me. Mm, my heart goes out to you herniated discs. They are not, not fun at all. And, um, I think the water therapy, like also like in addition, that really helps when you have those really sensitive things like stress fractures and herniated discs. Cause it, the back is so sensitive because everything that you do is connected mm -hmm. to the movement of the back. And so, um, yes, I hope you experience that full healing and, uh, flotation tanks. Oh, they're like my best friend right now because of now, because of what I learned, not only I do everything now that I did when I went through my healing practice, it's now part of my everyday life. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I've come to now see what I need to do, what are kind of non-negotiables and what I need to avoid, at least at this point in my life, you know, that may change potentially, but, but yeah, chronic pain has potentially been one of the more impactful teachers for me mm. for a whole host of reasons. I hope to do a podcast, a whole episode on just that experience because <laughs> there's so much to unpack there. But one of the things you say about yoga, which I really appreciate, uh, I believe it's in the intro to your book, is that um, you mentioned that often people think that they have to stretch themselves into certain poses and uh, that they can tend to get wrapped up in comparing themselves to others. That unpleasant experience of comparison or not measuring up could increase the likelihood that someone might not resonate with the class or find any benefit from it. So how do you typically tend to define the word yoga or uh, convey its complex meaning? That's such a great question. And for me, yoga is the yoking, it's, it's unity right? And so you really can use the word yoga to define anything that is uniting, anything that is coming together, specifically in the practice of yoga, we are uniting the breath with movement, right? And the breath, as I shared before, the breath is that, that spiritual healing essence that is energetic and can be used in so many different ways. And the movement is also the same. So if the breath is spirit, then the movement is our humanness, right? And so we're putting these two things together to assist with our human experience, right? And so I feel like um, without the breath, the movement, you know, what is movement, you know, is going to be hard to move or do anything without the breath. And so when we go into the practice of yoga, I, I encourage people to start with the breath. So many people are like, oh, can you teach us this 10 minute yoga class and couple yoga poses? And it's the most annoying request <laughs> that I can get as a yoga teacher. It's like, can I just teach breath work or can I, can we just breathe for, if you only have five minutes, I actually think you get more benefit from, from just really focusing on your breath mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and connecting with breathing and how to breathe properly and fully. And I kid you not, so many companies reach out to me and so many organizations. And I always come back to them when they, especially when they have less than 30 minutes and I'm like, let's do meditation and movement because even if I show people these yoga poses, 
if they are not able to breathe with them, they're not getting the full benefit. So I'm really, really heavy on the breath. And when you think about the poses, the benefit of the poses is that it's moving our body in a way that we're moving and circulating the blood flow so our body can heal itself. So it's all about healing and moving with the breath to promote full body healing. Even when some people go through the, the yoga practice and they like, oh, well, I don't do yoga anymore. I've ascended. So I only do meditation. I'm like, wait, <laughs> wait, there are different benefits. Like, there's so many different benefits. And I know, and usually we do the movement so that we can sit comfortably in yoga and with the breath, we promote, you know, healing in different places of our body. But I think the movement um, is important. It's not that you do anything perfectly, but that you're moving the body so that your skin can move, your length can move, your blood can move. And that's what promotes the healing. So I tell people, yoga is not about how far you can go. It's about that you're doing it on a regular basis and it's connected with your breath. And that is going to give you optimal health and vitality. I love that message. It's such an important message. And it's Part of the reason why I was interested in starting GLOW to begin with is because so many people confuse this word yoga and uh, and has so many different meanings and so many different understandings and they all deserve um, to be considered and understood and discussed. And you know, my laugh earlier wasn't in, in any way meant to um, be negative in any way towards someone who might feel as though she or he has ascended I just personally has a, have a bone to pick with the concept of, of ascension and, and liberation. Uh, you know, my next question then would be, well, what are you liberating yourself from or what have you liberated from? And, and then the whole concept of a singularity that we're all trying to achieve some kind of supernal state that exempts us from the world. And so, yeah, I, I tend to get very curious when, I hear statements like that. I love the word liberation. It's actually one of my favorite words. And for me, it just means freedom. Freedom. It means non-attachment. It means really, truly not allowing anything to disconnect you from love. Even again, when we're talking about pain and anger and rage and fear, can we experience that but still be connected to love and compassion and empathy i like to talk a lot about duality and my continued studies is about can we hold space for it all because if we look at the world right now we're experiencing all of it and if you talk about oneness and singularity we're experiencing all of it so i can't just connect with living my best life and having all of my dreams come true and and i can but i also have to talk about the pain and the struggle that i am still now currently going through because i truly believe if someone is hurting anywhere we're all hurting everywhere and we are connected in that way and so i just i just always have to say that even when i say i am liberated i am free i am healed and i'm healing I'm pain free and I'm also full of pain. I've overcome some traumas, but there are traumas that I still have. And I feel like acknowledging the 
nuance of life and acknowledging the duality is how I've evolved myself and my consciousness and allowed myself to, when I speak and reflect on my life, to be able to speak and reflect on all of the nuance of my life. And when I speak of the world, to to talk about all of the nuance because it is very complex. You just summarized way better than I could have in my opening, that kind of intro that I was trying to get across. Because like you said, liberation isn't about not addressing fear, anger, pain, trauma, you know, and so forth. Where I have seen people get tripped up or follow particular systems or teachers uh, is when the opposite is pursued. Meaning for someone who might believe they have achieved some type of enlightened state that as a result, they feel grants them a superiority in some form or another over others, or that leads them to believe they are exempt from the parts of ourselves individually and collectively that we'd rather not face. And so you know, that's part of what I meant earlier when I said that your message is just so critical for this, this moment in, in human history. Thank you. I've definitely, definitely experienced the, the spiritual bypassing and the, and I've learned that, uh, you know, even within, you know, I've been vegan for 16 years and it just, unfortunately, when we don't acknowledge the darkness, it actually is not as helpful as it could be because somebody's in the darkness. <laughs> Even when you feel like you're in the light. And again, in oneness, we are all in the darkness and the light at the same time. Mm -hmm. But I think that is what I've, I've grown to understand, which I didn't always have that awareness. I remember when I first went vegan, going home and throwing out all the food, the, all the toxic food <laughs> in my parents' house and having to pick it out of the trash because my dad is like, have you lost your mind? <laughs> So, but I didn't understand that, like, just because I have this realization of what might be best for me does not mean that it's anyone else's reality at the present time, nor is it my job to press it on to someone else. And I had to learn that through trial and error. <laughs> <laughs> A big fat fail. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's easy once you get excited about something to want to <laughs> shout it from the, the mountaintop and <laughs> right. And yeah. I think that's what you know. Some of the teachers they have the the best intentions to lead people to more mindful living, and they don't really realize how that it, it can be. Um, it can be harmful sometimes. And because I didn't realize it when I, when I was doing it. And, you know, even now, sometimes I realize that, you know, some of the things I say and do can be part of the problem for people. Mm -hmm. But I'm also not attached to that either. I'm not attached to perfection or having it all at any part in my life figured out, but always just doing the best that I can and being willing to listen and to learn and to grow. And I think that's, that's something that I try to teach in my in my yoga school and you know in my books is that we don't have it figured out. I don't feel like anyone has it figured out, 
but we all can just do the best we can. And the more that we do the best we can and encourage others to do the best we can, I feel the more we can collectively heal together. I love that. Yeah, I'm always open to the possibility that something I may do or say may cause harm. And I try, though I'm not always successful, to practice a mindset and attitude to be curious and open and hold space for and create a safe environment for receiving feedback and um, the opportunity for someone to point out to me, you know, the ways in which my actions or inactions, you know, may cause harm. So it's, it's, yeah. an, it's an important message. I'm so curious when you're coaching people and you're noticing say bypass or you're noticing that there is some sort of blockage where you know it's so clear to you that that blockage is causing them harm or an inability to experience uh, some kind of transformation um, but you can also sense maybe that person isn't ready to go there how do you typically handle that situation that's such a good question and Coaching is one of my favorite things. And uh, remember when I was younger, my dad said, you're going to be a teacher. And I'm like, I don't want to be a teacher. You know, and I was thinking traditionally and I'm thinking I want to travel the world. But he saw at a young age when I learned things, I love to share them with others. And that's all he needed to say, see, to say you're going to be a teacher. And so the two things that I like to do in my coaching to guide people to their own solutions, because I feel like I don't have the answers for people. I'm a guide and I do it two ways. I ask questions and I tell stories because I learned just like <laughs> when I went vegan and threw off all the food, like you can try to force people, but really when people make decisions on their own, those are the decisions that stick. Because even if someone tries something, if they, if they fail at it, they'll just, blame it on you or if it causes some kind of something in their life, you know, it wasn't them. So what I do when I see a person in a, in a block or not, not able to get through a really tough time, I'll either tell a story um, that is relatable that I feel like I, how tough time I've gotten through or a tough time I read in a book or I, I love sharing books and podcasts and things like that. Um, or I ask some questions like, how does this make you feel? Because a lot of time people don't know or are not in touch with their feelings. And for many years, I was not. I, I could not access mm -hmm pain because I'd stuffed it away for so long. So one of the biggest things I ask people is, how do you feel? How does that make you feel? How does this thing make you feel? How does that thing? And I really get them in touch with their feelings around different things. And a lot of time that leads them to their own answers. So I think, you know, questions, and I feel like anyone can use that tool, whether you're a coach or not, with your family, instead of just telling people things, just say, well, how does this make you feel? Or I know I heard a story about this, or I heard a story about that way you're not really projecting your thoughts, your beliefs, or your pain onto someone else, which we actually commonly do as humans. Um, but you're allowing them to come up with their own um, answers and their own um, ideas around things. Yeah, I appreciate that. I've worked with a variety of coaches over the years, and I've benefited tremendously tremendously from it and therapy as well. And I 
have noticed that the best therapists and coaches do what you just expressed. I 100% agree with you. Like I've had so many different coaches and my best coaches are the ones that lead me to my own answers. They ask me the questions because we know, we truly know. Mm -hmm. And if you're listening and you're thinking, I'm not great at accessing my feelings as well, if it helps to, to hear me say that, I remember vividly a moment in therapy where I came to the realization that, holy shit, I do not have access to my feelings in the way that I imagine that I did. And yeah, I've sp spent years exploring that feeling, naming feelings, emotions, and it's a practice. It's such a practice. And then the funny thing is, once you name it and you feel it, then you got to let it go. <laughs> that, that's the catch 22. It's like, okay, how does that make you feel? And how do you feel? And then, and then you have to process then those feelings. But the, the acknowledgement is the first part that I think is often skipped in coaching. They just want people to be okay. Or in the healthcare um, community, they want you to just band-aid something or patch a solution without going deeper down into the acknowledgement and the cause of what a person is feeling or experiencing. Beautiful. Speaking of sitting with discomfort, there's this beautiful story in your book where you're on a plane and you sit down next to someone. And as I was reading it, because before you start the story, you mentioned that you're listening to a particular band or, or um, artist uh, named Beautiful Chorus. And as I put the book down and I thought, you know, I wonder if that's the music that my wife listens to as we're preparing to go to bed. And sure enough, like I searched for it in, in, you know, online and that was the same music. So it was wonderful then to read the rest of the story, having experienced this music for I don't know. It was, she's listening to it for months and I never looked up. I never asked her like, who is that? It's so beautiful. Um, <laughs> but can you share that story? Cause I think it's such a wonderful example of, of compassion and, and shifting. Absolutely. I, I just want to say, I love beautiful chorus. And I remember when I first met them, I met them in person in Florida and I was in a yoga class and they were singing acapella in the back of the room. Wow. It was the most profound experience. And it was the first time that I spoke to my grandmother who had transitioned, who had passed. And I, I had a very vivid feeling of her presence and her speaking to me. And I went afterwards and I hugged each one of them. And I was doing acro yoga a lot at the time. And I, I flew all of them. And that, that's where I put them on my feet and lift them up because they had uplifted me so much. And so that was kind of my my service to them because I felt so moved by, by their voices and how their voices um, touched my soul and opened my heart so I could have this very beautiful experience. And so oftentimes when I'm traveling or when I'm going through a lot of pain, I will just put on their album and listen to it nonstop. And so getting on this crowded plane and, you know, wanting no, not to be flying at the time. And I sat in the first seat and um, it was, you know, we we're flying Southwest, so sit anywhere you want. And um, so I chose the first seat bes beside these two women. And as soon as I sat down, they were just bothered. 
like clearly, oh, oh, are there other seats on the plane? And I'm like, yeah, but this one's open. (laughs) And I'm sitting right here, you know? It was like my Rosa Parks moment. I never, ever say that. But like in this moment, I realized that I was just saying, I'm sitting here because the seat is free and and I want to sit here and I should be able to sit wherever I want. And But they proceeded with just like kind of just, frustration and saying things under their breath. And I just turned up my beautiful chorus and I looked out the window and I just felt love. I just felt love. I literally let their voices infuse into every cell of my body. And I wasn't like, in like, oh, these people, like I literally honestly felt love for them. And this is space of compassion, which I wish I could access at every single time in my life, especially when you hear road rage. Now, I'm not saying I always go to this place, but I try to. And in this moment, when I went there, I could feel that they were starting to calm, you know, as I sat there and I'm listening and they can't hear the music. It's just me. And just it's, it's raising my vibration. And then I don't really know what happened, but they were having a conversation about loss. And it came out that this woman had lost her daughter and she was really upset because she didn't get to say goodbye. And her last conversation she had with her daughter was a negative one. Mm. And that is like, oh, that is heart-wrenching. And so here I am in this space, under the influence of beautiful chorus. <laughs> and I feel an energy in me that elicits me to speak to this woman. And her daughter's name was Angel, and Angel is also my nickname. And so I literally said, Angel wants to speak with you. I don't know why I said this to this woman who was rude to me and nothing, but it was totally spiritual. I was at this point a vessel and I had, it almost felt like it was like an almost an out of body experience. And I looked at her and I just said, it's okay. I love you. And, and she cried and she hugged me and we held each other and she just sobbed and it was an amazing experience. And I, and then we started talking and she told me, she was like, thank you so much. And you don't know how much this means to me. And I'm so sorry for how I treated you or so wrong of me. And she just thanked me and thanked me. And it was a beautiful experience. So mm. yeah, that was, that was a very powerful moment in my life. Thank you for sharing that. That's beautiful. Thank you. I think it goes to show that at any time we can choose love. Music helps, (laughs) but at any time, um, if we do these practices of affirmation and affirmation music and yoga and breath work, it does raise our vibration so that we, when we are faced with conflict, we can respond versus reacting because I could have reacted differently. I had the right to say, look, and, and, and I could have said some things to her, Mm -hmm. but instead, I was like, let me get my vibration in a, in a healthy space. And again, not even consciously, but just like not willing to allow her to shift my mood and and choosing that allowed me to elevate to a higher state where I was actually the solution. 
I was helpful. I was love. I was spirit speaking to her and helping her heal when that wasn't even my intention. So I think that goes back to like why I list so many practices in my book about chakra work and meditation and doing a daily practice is because we are not going to stop experiencing things in life. We're going to keep experiencing them, but the more that we work and we have a regular daily practice and rituals that keep us in a higher state and a higher vibration, the better we're going to be able to deal with those challenges when they come. Mm, beautiful, powerful. In your book, you dedicate a chapter to the victim and creator dynamic. It's titled, You're Not a Victim, You're a Creator. I'm curious, so when you're coaching and you experience someone navigating through a victim mindset, I'm not talking about the obvious victim scenario where you know someone is a, is a victim of, of trauma and you know, something's been perpetrated upon them and you know, they, you know, they're you know, truly a, a victim and have been treated inappropriately. I'm talking more about like a victim mindset of, uh, you know, not taking the steps to be in conversation with someone and maybe jumping to assumptions and, uh, you know, just simply seeing their situation, um, as a, as a victim versus, as you say, a creator, like, how do you, how do you walk someone through that experience? Well, I mean, the, this is one of those things that actually it goes for when it, when someone experiences deep trauma and also when someone is experiencing just insecurity um, and you have to acknowledge it like acknowledge those insecurities acknowledge jealousy acknowledge comparison acknowledge your feelings like how you feel and think about why you felt that way you know a lot of times people have heard things in their youth that makes them feel less than or like they're not a love. Or sometimes people experience microaggressions that make them feel like they don't belong. So really, it's really about acknowledging and not just, you got to be the creator right now. It's There's so many steps. And I, I did an online course called Bravely You. Um, and it's really steps to love, aligning with love. But at first, just like with my incidents on the plane, I had to acknowledge that this hurts and it's not right. And I don't want to listen to it. I'm going to turn my music up as loud as I can. And so I don't have to hear, but I did acknowledge like, this is not okay. Now I could have just went to another seat and that would have been avoiding what was not right. But instead I sat in my discomfort. And so what I tell people who go into that victim mindset is like, sit in the discomfort, and see, why do you feel this way? Because if you just like do it anyway, okay, you'll get to it. But if you don't experience the steps of acknowledgement and then asking and processing your feelings, then you're just going to get it again in a different way. And I truly believe that. And I've gotten multiple lessons in different ways so many times. So I really um, go through that first step of acknowledgement and then processing pain. And then um, I have a forgiveness ritual that I take people through, um, which includes breath work and transformational writing. And I do it every new moon and full moon because we're always going through things, right? And so mm -hmm. it, this is a regular practice of getting out of victim consciousness because quite honestly, I think 
our whole world is based on victim conscious. Who did that to you? And what is someone doing it to you? And it's, it's really seeped in that. Mm-hmm. And when you want to base your, your, your living on healing consciousness and love consciousness, it is about not spiritual bypassing, acknowledging the pain, but not living in it, not staying there, acknowledging it, processing in it, and then realizing you are the solution. You are the creator. You got this, but it's not without acknowledging the steps that it takes to get there. Yes. Yes. I love that. You're right. There's so much of it out there. And it's part of why I asked the question because I've read how you address it and I've heard how you address it. And it's just such an important message. So thank you. Thank you. I think it's not, I wish I want to do it more. You make me want to do it more, but I guess people hear it on your podcast. (laughs) Well, that maybe is an interesting segue to leadership. Uh, You have a lot going on. You're producing a lot of content on a frequent basis. Uh, your team is quite large. How do, do you, you know, as, as you're scaling your team and uh, as you're communicating what you're for, what your, what your values are and how uh, it is that you wanna work together, is there anything specific that um, you're operationalizing or Um, any systems you're laying down in terms of how you're actively co-creating the culture that you want to have with each other? Absolutely. I, I believe having core values are very important and being aligned with values, whether it be in personal relationships or business relationships. And one of my core values in my life and in my company is continued growth and evolution. So personal and professional development Every meeting, I want to hear what's going on in your life personally. And then we get to the professional part. And I think that that's maybe not done enough in the corporate setting because we are going through so much. And again, that's skipping the acknowledgement because a lot of times productivity decreases because things are going on in a person's personal life that they're not able to hit. I literally got a request for a wellness day from someone on my staff. And I just didn't say, all right, take a wellness day. I said, okay, you can have a wellness day and do you need to have a call with me? So at 2.30 after this call, I'll be having a wellness call. And I, and it's not mandatory. I just offer myself to my team as a coach because if I can't be there for my team and I feel the same way about my family and it pains me sometimes because I want to be there for my family too when they hurt, but it has to be a choice. So I give myself the choice to have a session with me anytime that they're feeling you know, overwhelmed, whether it be professionally or personally, they can have a one-on-one coaching call with me. And so as a leader, I, that's number one value is personal and professional development. Are there any things that you're doing together that are rituals or practices that help navigate what can tend to be difficult or, or, um, avoided, like say, for example, giving and receiving feedback or Mm -hmm. reviews or. Anything, anything like that? Any- Number Another core value is the ability to take constructive feedback. Because like <laughs> I'm very results oriented. And honestly, it's something that within the last couple of years, I realized, like, first, I'm just like creative and I like creating. But my company grew pretty quickly, but over time, right? In the last two years, well, the last three or four years, without it just being me, I started hiring like my first assistant. And then my team grew quickly after that. Cause I realized the more that I hire, the more I get help with, the more that I can impact, mm-hmm. the more impact that I can have in the world. But with that, 
I didn't understand how I needed to create systems. And there's a system called the EOS system that's profoundly helped me um, organize my team. And I just now um, am getting an implementer to help me um, really have clear core values for everyone on the team, have clear goals for everyone on the team, for everyone to be very clear about what we're doing. And I didn't have that in the beginning. So that is something that I've just in the last year um, chosen to implement to help. But I think that taking constructive feedback and before every um, team meeting, we do breath work. So we breathe and we, we, um, we pray. And I, I bring spirit in it. Like spirituality is really important to me. It has been since I was a little girl. And so I, I let people know if you don't, if you have a problem with me acknowledging spirit or praying or asking about your per, per, personal life, this might not be the company for you. Nice. And so that's something that I really value and I bring into our meetings and the ability to take that constructive feedback and also connect and align with spirit before we connect with each other. Those two things are really important. That's I just love that what you're expressing is becoming more and more okay. It's becoming more the norm in business environments, which I'm I'm just so grateful for. Gosh, I feel like I spent another hour just asking you about leadership and, and how you navigate <laughs> work relationships, but we're coming to uh, the, 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 our time here. Um, I'd love to ask you about a moment I heard on a different podcast where the interviewer and it seemed like it might have been premature for him to mention it in that interview, but and I think he let it slip that uh, you're writing a new book. Which interview did I let that out on? It was Saad de Simone. Oh yes, yes. Okay, he's awesome. Which, I by the him. way, everyone has to listen to that interview. The chemistry the two of you have ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I was having such imposter syndrome going into this interview, thinking I will. I will never come across as, as cool and energetic as, as him. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. That guy's pretty incredible. But you're amazing too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so with your new book, is there anything your soul is just itching to say that you haven't previously expressed in your work? Absolutely. Like I always have so much I want to share and I feel like I get so many downloads every single day and I want to share them and I don't. So I feel like this book is a great place to just kind of get it all out. I think I'd censor myself a lot. Mm. And I think that that's part of my growth is just to um, be able to say more and to be able to share more. But I do well on podcasts. I'm able to share more on podcasts, but especially on social media, uh, I want to be able to be more vocal. And so in this next book, I'm going to be sharing a lot of things that I've learned um, to help people um, live a healthier lifestyle. So it's very similar, but it's different. I will have some recipes. I will give you that. <laughs> I will have some food. Y'all don't know, I love, 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 love food. And so I will be having some recipes in there and it will be helping people more specifically live a lifestyle that is going to help with some of the, the things that we're really dealing with a lot in the world today. Oh, cool. I look forward to reading it. And if you're, <laughs> if you're interested, I'd love to have you back on after, after um, you're doing the rounds of interviews. I love that. As a public. Thank you. So mm -hmm. uh, I noticed that your uh, 
current book, Let Your Fears Make You Fierce, uh, underwent, well, two things. Uh, I found it fascinating how you shared uh, your negotiation process just in getting the book deal initially. And, um, and then you have a redesign to match your current brand look and feel. Can you speak to that? It looks yes, beautiful. It looks I, beautiful, by the way. The thank you. Well, it's the thing is, as a, as a visionary, it, you see things a certain way. And it's so clear. And as a woman, and as a Black woman, when you're not able to communicate how important that vision is bringing that to life for your community, for your representation of who you are, it is like a dagger in the soul, like, you know? And oh, I feel that- I'm sorry you have that experience. Well, you know, it's, I mean, I'm being dramatic, but it's like, I just, you know, and people that are really creative, they get it. It's like, you can't have everything you want, but you still want what you want, right? And you have reasoning behind it because it's what you feel and then you're connected to it, right? Yeah, and but, so for yeah me, but there are other forces stacked against you, which you referred to. Exactly. And so for me, it's about not letting up and not letting the dream die inside you. If you feel something and you feel like something should be said or something should be done in a different way, hold on to it. So not getting the cover the way I wanted the first time, I was so hurt. And I'm mm. like, my whole book title is like your fears make you fierce. And I don't feel fierce at all. I feel so unfierce, <laughs> you know, and I felt so unfierce. And um, so I had to stick with it. I had to stick with why I wanted it and why it was important to me. So when it came around time for the second book, I shared how important it was for me nice. to have this first book in alignment with my brand. And luckily, um, my producer heard me and felt me. And we have we have a we're going to be relaunching um, the new cover on my first book um, before the second book comes out. And so I'm really excited about that because I think it just speaks to, yes, sometimes because you're a woman, you're not going to be listened to. And yes, because you are a minority, you might not be listened to. But that doesn't mean that you let up. That doesn't mean that you just accept it. It means that you keep it. And sometimes there's a time and place where with consistency and support, you will get it through. And that's what's important, especially about the last year. We have to come together. And I wasn't alone. I had help in getting my voice heard. And I think that's important to note because it is hard when you're alone and when you feel like it's you're by yourself and you don't have support and people picking you up. And the only reason that I'm where I am today is because I have not only spiritual support, but people um, that have helped me through tough times. And I just, I just want to acknowledge that it's not easy, but it's still possible. Thank you for sharing that. So hopefully that helps serve as an example, you know, for others to follow in the path that you're, you're creating for, for others as a, as inspiration. I want to add on to it. Like never be afraid to get a no and never be afraid to stop trying. One of my favorite quotes is like, you cannot fail until you stop trying. So I didn't stop trying. I was like, let me give it one more effort. Like I just, ah! you know, and so go with your knees knocking and just try again. That's another thing you say in your book, dream juicy. 
Oh yeah. Dream juicy. Absolutely. <laughs> Cause then that makes it fun because sometimes when you get rejected, no one likes rejection, you know, no. and no one likes when they don't feel like their voice is heard. It's not fun. It's annoying. It's traumatic. Um, but you got to keep dreaming juicy because if one person doesn't give it to you, somebody else can. And if you don't get it one way, maybe there's another way. And so I am, I'm definitely very ambitious and I know not everyone feels as ambitious as, as I might be describing right now, but I just want to give people permission to allow yourself to be ambitious, no matter how many times you've been told no, and no matter how many doors you've gotten closed in your face, don't stop trying because you cannot fail unless you stop trying. Yeah. I don't know if this is appropriate or helpful to acknowledge, you know, I can only speak about my experience when I receive a no, I have the privilege to not wonder did I receive a no because of my skin color or because of my sexual, sexual orientation or because of my gender or nationality. And that's a thing and that's a harmful force that exists. It's definitely a thing and it's frustrating and I feel it like it happens all the time. It happens still now. And, but the thing is, it's an easy thing to let take you out. And one thing that I've committed to doing is feeling it, leaning into it and saying, okay, I feel this. And whether I'm right or wrong, it feels like this is the reasoning behind it. And how can I navigate this? situation. And I think that's what's empowering for me as I continue to grow as an entrepreneur is navigating those spaces where it's still happening. And even after all the conversations and all the books read, people still are navigating in that space of unconsciousness and I still got to deal with it. And yeah, yeah. it's hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm so sorry you and so many have to deal with it to navigate the powerful and entrenched forces that still exist both consciously and unconsciously. There's always more that people like myself can be doing to help both internally as well as externally out, out in the world. Thank you. What is your wish that you hope people take away from reading your book? Mm. My wish is that everyone know that they matter, that they are enough and whatever their gifts and talents are, they are meant to shine in the light and in the darkness, like the sun and the moon. We are meant to bless the world with our brilliance, each and every one of us no matter what. And that's, that's what I hope people take away. And they're not afraid to shine and be fierce. Even if they have fear, pain, trauma, never be afraid to shine. Thank you. That could be the most wonderful ending to this episode, were it not for your get loved up morning prayer, which I'm wondering, how would you feel about ending this conversation with your your morning prayer. Oh my goodness. I would love that. Is that my absolute favorite thing to do? And before you do, you end it with, I, I, I looked this up. I didn't know what it meant. Is it Ashe? Ashe? Yes. Is, mm -hmm. And what I found was it's, it's, 
it's African. Am I pronouncing this correctly? Yoruba language. Yoruba. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? The Yoruba tradition. Yoruba. And it, does it mean mm -hmm. may it be so? May it be so, or okay. and so it is. Okay. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's important because there are so many ways, and I think that's another thing that I've realized over years that especially with traveling so many cultures do things differently and we're so easy to cancel people if they don't do things the way that we do and now i do a lot of things differently than how i grew up and, and you know my goal is to be strong in it even though sometimes i feel weak and to realize that it doesn't matter what someone believes in it matters how they feel and how they make other people's feel and so that's something that I feel like we'll also be getting stronger within my community and then in the coming years and with my next book is being unapologetically fierce, not afraid to speak. However it is I speak, let the words come out and let them fall as they will. But know that, you know, I'm a woman of love and love is my intention. And no matter how it comes out, that's the intention behind it. So was it an act of courage for you to not use a different ending that might have been more consistent with a different religion is that what you're saying no not exactly okay. um i say a man i say ashe okay, okay. i i use them interchangeably i say god i say spirit because i think there's a war against people saying spirit and universe and it's so sad to me because they all have a very deep resonance in my heart i love saying god universe spirit and i feel like it's sad that some people have separated themselves from me and other people because we talk about personal responsibility and alignment and, and use those different words, but that's okay. Part of me standing in my power is using those words because they resonate very highly with me. So yeah, that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah, I mean, since, since the time immemorial, like people have been killing each other, you know, for, for you know, whose metaphysics or whose particular worldview of how the world was created or whose ethics, you know, have supremacy over another. So yeah, I, I really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. Let's, let's do your prayer. And All right. The get loved up morning prayer. We are love. We release all of the limiting beliefs that block us from our greatness. We are open to the infinite possibilities of love in our lives. We are prepared to meet all assignments with a loving heart and a joyous spirit. We are ready to heal any place within us, holding on to residual fear. We pray for guidance and flowing with clear intentions and pure thoughts. We feel love, beauty, and divine intelligence in every cell of our body. We radiate good vibes wherever we go. We are patient with ourselves and others as our journey of truth reveals itself daily. We embrace all experiences as opportunities to grow and express gratitude. We know we are divinely supported and provided for. We are grateful for our lives. And so it is. Ashe. Thank you, Koya. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And Ashe is also me leaning into my divine feminine. I think being a business owner and being in my masculine a lot, saying words like Ashe and saying things a different way, it does roll off the tongue differently. And I think that's another reason that I choose it. Beautiful. I so much enjoyed our conversation and being here with you this time. Thank you. Thank you. 
thank you to our entire team behind the scenes at Glow. I'm so grateful for your care and commitment to serving our members around the world. Thank you to our teachers for so beautifully sharing your gifts and talents. I'm also grateful to our lovely community of GLOW members. You've supported us since 2008, and because of you, we get to continue to do the work we love. It's the combined support of our team, our teachers, and our community that grants me the privilege to continue to bring you the GLOW podcast. Thank you to Lee Schneider at Red Cub Agency for production support. And the beautiful music you're hearing now is by Carrie Rodriguez and her husband, Luke Jacobs. And remember, take care of yourself because our world needs you. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. You can find the Glow Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or glo.com slash podcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Derek Mills.